Cloudspeaker Studios. I'm Dylan Mars Greenberg, and this is Talking Troma with Zach Bynes. Big, big shoe. It's really huge. Welcome to the show. Tromaville, and welcome to episode 19 of Talking Troma with your host, me, Zach Bynes. The show where me and a special guest turn into dolphins and exchange hearts by watching a trauma film and then paired with a non-trauma title for a fantasy double feature. But first, let me introduce my special guest. Shakespeare Shitstorm, filmmaker of several movies and acclaimed music videos, and musician with several projects, including Theophobia, and she has a new album out now, Bad World. Let me introduce to you Dylan Mars Greenberg. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you. I feel like it's been a long time coming for you to come on the show. Yeah, for sure. So... I always like to know um, how you got introduced to trauma. Okay, so I would have been like nine or ten. And my dad, I think some of my dad's friends were like, oh, like Dylan would love trauma. Because I I just (laughs) like, I don't know. Since I was really little, I was always drawn to just anything that was like weird or artsy or like kind of like campy. Um, Like, it just seemed kind of obvious that, like, I was always just super drawn to camp. Um, And I think it was, like, my dad took me to to his job. and, And he sat me down in front of a computer. And he was kind of like, you know, find a movie to watch or something, like, online. And I think someone had uploaded the Toxic Avenger to Google Video. So I actually think I watched it for the first time there. And then I think maybe I rented it again. And then I rented all the sequels. And then I, you know, found out about like Class of Newcomb High and all of those. Yeah. And I mean, from there, I just kind of started watching like every trauma movie. I yeah. Could find. That's awesome. Um, and were you at the same time when you were kind of discovering these? I mean, you said you were younger, like nine or ten, but were you also making movies at that time? Most notably, I made this short film when I was I, I know for a fact I was nine years old that was inspired by a racer head. Oh wow. <laughs> and there was this film program uh that y- you couldn't get into until you were 10. It was like a kid's film program. Um, and I really wanted to get in there, even though I was only nine. And yeah, it was like, you know, maybe ages 10 to 15. You could be like 10 was like, I think even cutting it. But they sent my dad, I think, sent them this. I mean, it's not like it, it was some great movie, but it's still they were just like, 
this nine-year-old made a movie like inspired by a racer head. I, I kind of want to see it. Is it is that out there to watch? I have it on I have I don't know if it's public, but I have a link. I think it might be online somewhere. You have to send that to me. That sounds pretty interesting. <laughs> What's funny is like I was watching David Lynch movies, but like I couldn't even like spell properly yet. <laughs> so I, I named the movie Ankh, like, like the symbol. Yeah. But I spelled it wrong. I'm watching David Lynch stuff now and I can't spell right. So, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I was a funny kid because I feel like I'd watch something like that and then I would just turn on Nickelodeon. And to me, it was like the same thing. It was like, it's like, it's like something I like. Yeah. Sorry, this is actually going off topic now because this isn't about trauma but oh that's fine <laughs> anyway yeah once i found out about trauma i remember i saw citizen toxie and i was like holy shit this must be the most disgusting movie i've ever seen <laughs> in my fucking life this is so cool yeah that um, one that one definitely uh surprised me too when i saw it in the i saw that one in the theater and i was like oh my goodness oh wow <laughs> Yeah, like I just remember watching that as a kid being like, holy shit. But one thing I will say about like your movies that I've seen and how you you mentioned like you'd watch Eraserhead and then go like right into Nickelodeon. I feel yeah. like that style like comes across um, like those influence come across in your films that you make where like it would be like a Nickelodeon produced eraser head type movie you have it. well i i have now worked for cartoon network so yeah, I have, on, fact, on adult swim I, right yeah yeah so i now have a cartoon network produced uh tell me a little bit about that one the, tell me a little bit about that one that's the puppeteer's assistant right yes um it was honestly based on like a bit i would just do with my friends where I would kind of just like say to people randomly, I would be like, did you know that like if you feed puppets like salt water that they'll turn evil? And you'd think it would be easy not to feed a puppet salt water, except that they beg you for it. And I don't know, I just used to tell that to people <laughs> and it seemed to get a reaction. Um, and then, yeah, I was kind of going down a long list of things to to pitch to Dave Hughes, who runs, you know, that division of Adult Swim, where they kind of, you know, give, you know, small budgets to filmmakers to make yeah. these shorts, um, which unfortunately is now getting um, much, much smaller. I think the budgets are even becoming tighter than they were. Yeah. Um, because they've been bought out by a few different companies. Um, yeah, and he rejected, like, I think three of my ideas, and I thought, oh, fuck, I'm done now. You know, I'm done for. They're not going to take anything I, I, I come up with. And then I pitched them that, and they were like, okay, yeah, this works, because I feel like we feel like this could be, like, a good short form. Nice. Thing. Yeah, I, I then, saw yeah, it online. The visuals in, in it are, are incredible. Thank you. Yeah, well, that's also very much due to um, Hannah Shilsky, um, who is a fantastic artist who I actually met on Shitstorm. 
Oh, um, cool. Hannah plays like three roles in that movie, actually. <laughs> um, or possibly more. Um, she's really talented. She makes, I mean, what I, first off, I found out that she makes her own like silicone masks or like latex masks. And she wears one in the movie. She wears this, this mask of like this bird person that she made. It looks like Mr. Burns from the Simpsons, but it's a bird. <laughs> and she made it. And she also plays a hooker in one scene. She gets a ninja star thrown into her uh, head. She plays, uh, she plays like a street, like riffraff. Yeah. I think she also did her own makeup and had like her teeth jutting out of her mouth. Um, but anyway, yeah, she was like, yeah, I also do like CGI. Like I'm like a professional, like computer graphics, like designer. So she uh, built, the puppets based on drawings that my partner glitter macabre made my friend merlin uh built this miniature and then we actually of the house and then we actually hannah basically scanned the miniature into the cgi and then we were actually using like a cgi scan of a real existing miniature Um, okay which is an unusual thing I'd never done before. Um, but yeah, I had like a really great team of people who were all super enthusiastic about it and, um, uh, you know, worked to make it happen. And you don't just do short films too. You have several features, a uh, yes. bunch, bunch of which are on Troma now. Um, I was yeah. lucky enough to see one of them um, in person with a room full of people, dark. Prism. Oh yeah, you saw dark prism, yeah. And that and that has Amanda Flowers, who's in Shitstorm. Yes, um, probably He's in most of my movies. Another another one of yours, um, and you made it with uh, Reverend Jin, who's in uh, Terror Firmer. Uh, yeah, Werewolf Bitches from Outer Space. Yeah, that's probably my most trauma-like movie. It's really funny. Um, yeah, yeah, that I was mean, also on, and that's very much. A Reverend Jen film who I actually you should have her on this show. She's fucking I was just hanging out with her. She's so funny. Oh awesome. Um, um she's my godmother, by the way. Um that, that's that's sweet. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, I made uh, I, that with her. Um, she wrote this most of uh, pretty much the entire script she wrote. I I wrote a few extra scenes um to kind of tie the film together because I it was originally being directed by someone else who then left the project and actually stole some of the footage. And then I kind of came in and I, I was kind of the fixer upper. And then I, I kind of created some action scenes and then some exposition scenes and um, a number of special effects and stuff to kind of tie it together, turn it into a 70 minute movie. Um, but for the most part, we stuck pretty closely to Reverend Jen's script. I mean, she's so that it, it's a very tight film because she's she's a very good writer. And she's also written several published books and she's a very accomplished and a really accomplished painter and performance artist and so much. I'll have to look more into her books that the movie was really funny. Um I had a good time with that one. I'm then, glad you liked it. Yeah. And then um 
another one of your films is on there, which uh, looks like it just got like a VHS release, uh, Reagitator. Yes, that's my most recent released film, although Amityville Vanishing Point, which is my movie I made uh, a while ago. People occasionally contact me about Amityville Vanishing Point because it's been on some lists of like worst movies ever made. Which I think is great because, I mean, if that keeps up, I'm hoping I can eventually get it onto the IMDb bottom 100 because then then you start making money. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like, that's really at this point, if you're making a low budget movie, that's what you want to strive for. Otherwise, you're not going to make shit. People don't pay to see good movies anymore. People like pay him. to see The Room. They don't pay to see fucking, you know, a, a $10,000 art film that's actually gets good reviews but it's like like for instance virgin beasts people don't aren't going to spend money to see that but if if virgin beasts was was you know if fucking like the nostalgia critic was lambasting it then people would fucking see it and they'd have midnight like birdemic or something like you know what i'm saying Which yeah true like so so anyway people tend to hit me up about it from time to time and every time they do now I, I just make up these stories that never happened about it. Like I, I said that it was funded by this company that then disappeared. And then the guy who ran the company broke out of prison. He like got arrested because he was embezzling money and he like murdered a clown and like took his clothes and dressed up as a circus clown and like wandered around like America for a year. And then he was caught again. And like, and like that's how Amityville Vanishing Point got made. So there's like all there's now a bunch of articles saying that's what happened. Like that's the that's official awesome. story now. <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, because yeah, I just like I don't really know what to say. I mean, it's just like how did you make an Amityville movie? It's like the honest truth was I was sick of no one watching my movies, and I was like, if I put Amityville in front of this movie, people will watch it. And I also wanted to make a movie in seven days. I wanted to see if I could do it. And I wanted to make it on a camcorder. And I I thought it was a good, I mean, I wasn't trying to make something bad. I, I, you know, and there are some people who like it and there's some people who get, you know, I was kind of trying to do a David Lynch thing and I was inspired by Inland Empire and Mulholland Drive. And it was kind of supposed to be a movie like that. And I think, you know, obviously people took it the wrong way. It really has nothing to do with it. Very soon, possibly either this summer or this Halloween, my next feature film will finally be out. It's been five years in the making. Um, Spirit Riser. Yes. Um, but yeah, Reagitator, that's another film that stars Amanda. That's also very trauma. So Spirit Riser, yeah, I would I would call it a a, a low budget, but or I, it's my it's a ten thousand dollar epic. Um it's massive in scope, many locations, huge ensemble cast um there's music there's there's martial arts fighting there's drama there's you know there's horror obviously and uh yeah i mean it's it's a film about two sisters who are separated by an explosion um and one of them ends up in california with uh memory loss and she doesn't know who she is and the other sister is wandering around New York and she um, 
is very the other sister's very young. The other sister's played by my my own actual little sister. Oh, cool. Uh, named Summer Greenberg. Yeah, and basically they both go on these separate journeys, and then they they have to reunite basically. Um, and along the way they encounter a lot of different characters, and they basically both discover that they have the ability to raise spirits from the dead. Yeah. Now, one of them has to learn that ability. The other has to rediscover that ability. And the spirits, when they're raised from the dead, they fight the evil spirits and they have martial arts battles. Um, and this is due in part also to Jesse Youngbae, who is also the fight coordinator on Shitstorm, <laughs> nice. um, who, who is one of the stars of Spirit Riser and plays the main spirit, which is a ninja spirit. And um, he also coordinated all the fights in this film, whether he was in them or not. So there's these spectacular, very, very good fight scenes. Unlike my previous films where I would kind of just have people randomly throw punches and do my best to do it myself. These are all coordinated. Everything on the East Coast is coordinated by, by Jesse. Um, so there are these really spectacular, grand fight scenes and there's they meet uh shuri curry from the runaways oh cool and she uh she keeps foster girls and she's she becomes kind of a protector and kansas bowling and parker love bowling um are i i'm i don't know if you're familiar with them yeah they uh for those out there who um who haven't seen kansas did a film called bc butcher uh that's on troma now And they're yeah. in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood yeah. as well as yes. the Manson and, and Girls. And I just produced Kansas's uh, new film, Cuddly Toys, which is probably going to be one of the most shocking films to come out uh, when it does. Did she shoot it um, on 16 like her other she, ones? Or? Yes, she did. It's incredible. And, and, it, and it's her best looking film yet. Um, and it's, it's truly 100% her vision. And it's, it's a really, really... Uh, dark beautiful scary film i would say if anything's a car film it's cuddly toys that's awesome um, probably one of the most frightening films that i think people will be able to see because it's it's both a fantasy and it's and one of the realest films ever um i'll, I'll leave it at that for now but um so she produced she produced uh the, all of the la scenes in spirit riser and I produced all of the New York scenes in Cuddly Toys. Um, so that was a fun collaboration. Well, no, I guess not all of them. I produced most of the New York scenes cool. in Cuddly Toys. Um, and I, got, I helped her with casting and locations and that kind of stuff. Got her some, got her some money for film reels. Um, yeah, so she, she is fantastic. And her and Parker are in the air in it with Cherie and... Um, they encounter them and they encounter um god they meet god at one point they meet uh there's a cult of just uncles no nephews or nieces it's just a bunch of uncles and they're they're solemnly sworn to protect the supernatural um but yeah anyway it's a really uh kind of i, I would call it like twin peaks meets stranger things nice if that makes sense like like twin peaks season three <laughs> things. so really out there stuff um but then there's also this element of sort of 80s kind of almost spielbergian nostalgia nice um 
and of course it's also very low budget and and so yeah it goes kind of so i it, it, it's kind of a spiritual film so it goes from being you know there's a lot of moments of people kind of discovering things through psychic abilities in the astral plane and there's this realm called the otherness um that's very important to the film oh and the villain of the film is played by whitney moore from birdemic and um many other films and probably uh her she, it's like you've never seen her before because <laughs> she actually plays a male character and is in prosthetics and i would say she does such a good job she could easily be the next uh, lon chaney that's awesome other than like feature films you also um you make a ton of music videos and i always yes. see you on the socials like not only are you making music videos for your solo projects for your bands yeah. but you also um are always on the grind looking for other yeah. people's music videos to make well that's my job that's and, what i do for a living is i make i direct music videos and i will say if anybody out there uh once once a unique original video they should definitely yeah. hit you up yeah absolutely um, tell tell me a little bit more about some of some of the videos you've made. Well, I've done videos for, um, I mean, I did. I've done some videos for Death Valley Girls, um, which we shot in LA actually with Kansas and Parker, and um, I've done videos for uh, Princess Goes to the Butterfly Museum, which is a band with Matt Katz Bowen and Peter Yanowitz and uh, Michael C Hall. How did um, how did you get hooked up uh, doing doing their videos? Because uh, it seemed like um, the videos you did for them, like didn't Rolling Stone write about them? Yes, yeah, yes. That was great. How how'd you get uh, how'd you get involved with doing their videos? Well, I've been friends with Matt Cats uh, Bowen, who's also the keyboardist for Blondie, um, and he's the keyboardist in Princess Goes. He's one busy guy, but I uh, I've been friends with him since I was a teenager. And he's actually in a bunch of my movies. He's in um, Dark Prism and he's in uh, Wakers. And he contributed music to Reagitator. He had a band with um, uh, Laurel Cats uh, Bowen um, called Pastel Confession. And they did a song for Reagitator called Mysterious, which uh, is plays during the end credits and during a scene where the monster Ogroth attacks the city. But um yeah, I mean, they, you know, they had me pitch them a concept and they liked the concept. And then we, uh, you know, we went ahead and, you know, made that concept a reality. It's so, and you've, you've done two two videos for him, if I'm not at least two. Right. Yeah. I mean, yes. One is one is more of a one is more of a, um, you know, a narrative I mean, it's 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 very weird, but it's a narrative yes. video. The other one was more of uh, an experiment uh, where they wanted to just be shot on green screen, and then their idea was to um, to then let the fans um, put whatever they wanted behind them. And how is how is uh, were they to direct? Um, because. Uh, because Michael Hall, like he's been in a bunch of stuff. Um, is he, and your ideas are pretty out there. Uh, was he pretty receptive to? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when we did Nevertheless, which is the video with, which has all my bells and whistles in it, 
Yeah. Um, he was pretty into it. He actually, I would say he actually had some ideas that he contributed that actually made the video even a little stranger. Nice. He's an offbeat guy. I mean, he's a very offbeat guy. and He's certainly not afraid to get weird. That's awesome. And I like that um, you have the TV from uh, Reagitator. <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, yeah. The TV, that TV makes appearances in almost all of my movies. Yeah, I I saw that. I was like, that's a pretty fun Easter egg for <laughs> watching all your stuff. Yeah, well, I mean, that's why TV, I, that's made appearances in a lot of my music videos, a lot of my features. But yeah, that's like a signature thing of mine. I actually painted that TV. I believe it's a Hitachi brand television from 1984. Still works great. Um, and I've, I've had that TV um, since I was a teenager. I painted it. I found it on the side of the street and I, I painted it. I wrote boob tube on it. And I just decided from that point forward, anytime someone's watching TV in one of my movies, it's, oh, I want it to be that TV. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I appreciated that was in there. It was a fun Easter egg. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Well, and then you're also um, directing a video uh, for, from my first guest, Richard Taylor, for his band, Balonium. Yes. And, yeah, that's right. And I got to, like, nerd out a little bit because I'm I'm in the video. And then you also yeah. got Lloyd and um, Robert Pritchard, who yeah. is the original Cretan from Class of Newcomb High. That's right. Yeah. He's I, a good friend of mine. He's been in several of my films. And he's he is actually a big uh, proponent of performance art. Um, and and uh, after acting in trauma films and acting in some other films for um, Richard Haynes, who co-directed Class of Newcomb High, um, he uh, started a venue in the 1990s called Surf Reality that was actually a huge game changer and brought a lot of really, really, really offbeat stuff to uh new york in the 90s and now he's sort of surf reality doesn't exist anymore but he's kind of taken taken that same sort of ethic and applied it to a radio station called radio free brooklyn that's now probably one of the biggest online radio stations um in the city i would say at this point that's awesome i i can't wait to see the see the the final product on there. Oh, I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure they, they would they're love very it. much into anything offbeat and weird. They are very much supportive of on Radio Free Brooklyn. It's and it's a totally, uh, you know, people funded endeavor. It's not, um, you know, there's no corporate sponsors, so they can get as weird as they want. Um, yeah, yeah. Robert Butcher is actually a very, very crucial artist to the New York City uh, scene. Um, him and Reverend Jen did a lot of stuff together. That's actually how I first met him was through Reverend Jen. That's so cool. So that's yeah. a small, uh, small trauma world out there. Yeah, definitely. Well, and then I also want to talk about like some of your music. Um, so I I was fortunate enough you were playing like a one-off show out here in Denver with your yeah. band Theophobia, and that might be one of the most like it was just so entertaining and fun uh, to watch you and Matt Ellen, who uh, he plays guitar and it was just nuts. You had your microphone taped to a, to like a shotgun 
<laughs> and you were singing in the barrel of the shotgun and pointing it at the crowd to have a sing along. It was so much fun. Thank you. You also have several music videos for for the band, which are as unique as each song. Yeah, I I, I think yeah. At this point, I think I've directed all the uh, videos for Theophobia. Um, and yet, you know what's funny is that the the gun was actually because we had that. It was a prop we were using because I actually did a video for another band called I think Easy Lovin' while we were in Denver for the, and they have a song called Sniper and we were using the video as a prop for that band which actually the video stars um, Matt and Richard and Bonnie and they're all yeah. actually in the video um, with the band Easy Lovin'. Yeah, and I, but yeah, anyway, I've, I've done, uh, I don't know how many videos we have, maybe like five or so, but um yeah, I mean, I guess the one I'm most proudest of just in terms of directing is probably The Loop because I feel like it's a really beautiful, uh, pretty beautiful video. Um, oh, and we actually shot some of Will You Love Me When I'm Dead while we were in Denver um, because we were staying at Matt's aunt's place uh, and he had this very kind of modern looking pool. And I thought it would be interesting to shoot some stuff at this really modern looking pool because it reminded me of this pool in the grace jones music video for slave to the rhythm <laughs> that's awesome yeah well, and which was the video where you and matt have the prosthetics on your face that's the same video okay yeah that's that... why you love me when i'm dead that, that was uh, a combination of cy bedrick who's a one of the premier uh, makeup artist in New York City actually really wanted to work with us and we were lucky enough to get to work with Sai and Sai um, applied the prosthetics to us and then my partner Glitter Macabre uh, kind of color-coded each each character that we were in like like sort of my character is all pink and they actually added all of this pink makeup and this pink wardrobe and all of this really specific styling and then blue for Matt. So everything for Matt is blue. Everything for me was pink. So it creates this really uh, distinct contrast. And the, the makeup on you guys is incredible. Um, well, like when you think, yeah, I mean, that's Cy, that's, that's Cy Bedrick. Yeah. When you think yeah. of like kind of low budget, like it does not come across that way at all in the video. Yeah. Again, that's because we were lucky to, to work with, with Cy and, and Hex. Uh, uh, Glitter Macabre, I mean. Um, I mean, the combination of them was just dynamite. And can you tell tell um, tell us a little more on, about, like, the sound of Theophobia? Because it's it's very unique. I It's a lot of fun. Yeah, thank you. It's Well, we're very inspired by... I mean, what's funny is if anyone's familiar with these two acts, it actually makes so much more sense. But we're very inspired by... Uh, sparks and we're inspired by the music of Jim Steinman. I was going to so, say, I feel a lot of Jim Steinman. <laughs> right. See, now, you know who Jim Steinman is, but a lot of people don't. Uh, some people don't even know who Meatloaf is. People who are our age. That's so not okay. When, <laughs> yeah. So when we, so people hear our stuff and they genuinely don't know what the hell, where the hell, because then they ask us, what, where's your sound come from? And we say sparks and Jim Steinman, and they're like, who the hell are I? Although I usually can say, well, Jim Steinman wrote Total Eclipse of the Heart, and he, and uh, so even if they don't know Meatloaf, they probably know Total Eclipse of the Heart. Yeah. Um, 
but um yeah i mean i sometimes just in wider press releases we say sparks meets meatloaf or if meatloaf went to art school because people don't always even know who sparks is though at, at this point sparks is becoming a little more mainstream because with the documentary there was sort of, yeah well there was sort of the summer of sparks where the documentary came out and then a net came out which is their movie that they wrote all the music for and it stars adam driver so those two things kind of came out as like a one-two punch and then suddenly their audience expanded a bit, but they're still, you know, they're, they're much bigger at this point in the United Kingdom than they are in, in the U S those are absolutely our two uh, major um, influences for sure. And then, I mean, you know, we're, there's a lot of other stuff we're inspired by and we have a song coming out soon. That's um, very, very inspired by just Italo disco in general and um, kind of uh, self-control by Laura Branigan. It's actually very inspired by that. Um, but there are still some nods to Sparks in the song. Yes. We actually have a synth riff that's that sounds very, it's very much an homage to their song, When I'm With You. And um, But yeah, that's going to be our next single. But but yeah, I mean, those are our main, our main influences are Sparks. And then on a larger scale, I mean, we're sort of a combination of an 80s new wave and a 70s glam rock band. Yeah. Um, both of which, of course, are extremely theatrical types of music that, you don't hear as much anymore necessarily. Um, so we're kind of that's amazing. We also have this very theatrical aesthetic, and we sort of play these characters that are almost like fictionalized versions of ourselves on the stage. Um, and yeah, we have kind of a you know, we have sort of a whole routine. I think that's what made made it so refreshing for me to hear your hear your songs and all that because it's not something you hear every day. And like, well, you love me when I'm dead is just an absolute banger. Like, it's thank you. Awesome. Well, Matt wrote that one actually. That I, I wrote a few of the lyrics, but for the most part, Matt actually. Um, it's funny that yeah, that ha- that's been one of our biggest, you know, quote unquote hits. I mean, when you're an indie artist, it's like I mean, being yeah. below <laughs> indie artists, it's like how do you really <laughs> have a hit necessarily? But we, um, but uh, that one was primarily. Matt wrote the song and Matt uh, composed most of the synthesizers on it. Um, and then, you know, I added a few flourishes and I, um, and I, and I wrote some of the lyrics, but for the most part, that's a Matt song. Our two biggest quote unquote hits are that and love of ages, which I, I did play the synths on and I did the arrangement, but Matt wrote that song. It's actually a remake of an acoustic song that, that Matt recorded years before. Um, and uh yeah those have kind of been our two most successful songs so far and then another song that you guys did kind of wrapping stuff around is you did the theme song for hashtag shakespeare shitstorm that's right that was actually technically the first song that we ever recorded as a band oh really um yes and i and that was a little bit more rough around the edges because i actually produced that song the whole thing um but yeah, that was more of like a lo-fi uh, sort of jam session that then I, I sort of then worked on kind of br- mixing it so it sounded a little bit more high fidelity. Um, but yeah, that was kind of, I mean, it, it, it started with me recording it as a solo single before Theophobia was really fully formed. Um when I was in Albania shooting shitstorm, I actually recorded a lot of the vocals in my hotel room. 
And then Lloyd said it needs more instrumentation. It needs to sound much bigger. So I was, and so Matt and I were kind of in the very beginning stages of theophobia by that point, but that was almost a year later. So I, I said to Matt, you know, could, could you, could we record this together? And maybe this could be our first song as theophobia. And so it kind of became this jam session of Matt and me and Matt's friend, Philip, who was playing violin underneath everything, you know, and then, and then, and that's, so that's kind of the first recorded song that then Matt and I were doing vocals. Matt does backing vocals on that. And um, we have, yeah, we have a lot of instrumentation on that Matt's guitar and all that, but yeah, that's the, I think there's actually a very low, I actually, I, I also play guitar in it. Like it's kind of a weird song like I play acoustic actually like it's kind of a rhythm thing and then Matt Matt plays electric and and then there's like this kind of undercurrent of a violin um but yeah I mean it's very inspired by Sparks it's 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 kind of inspired by Armies of the Night by Sparks a bit yeah so that was yeah that was our first uh that was our first thing that we recorded even though it actually came out after yeah um, <laughs> everything else and how how cool is that like like that song is gonna go down as one of like the classic theme songs from a trouble well thank you i i I sure hope so i appreciate that like it's right up there with the newcomb high song and thank you yeah that was definitely my intention was i you know i love the newcomb high song obviously i love new wave and i wanted to make something really powerful I will say like about trauma soundtracks as much as I love them they they are a lot of punk and metal so it set it really set you guys like us you know in a completely different space than yeah for sure so it like stands out in a good way yeah it's interesting because in the movie the song doesn't come in until the very end like not even in the beginning of the end credits you have to wait a bit during the end credits because there's some post there's some post credit scenes or not post there's like scenes that happen during the credits yeah but th- and then when those scenes are done that's when the song starts but you hear an instrumental version of the song earlier in the film so it kind of sets the tone and then it kind of bursts into the end um but what's cool is that the whole thing plays uninterrupted so at least we got that and that's awesome uh yeah i mean you know hopefully people i mean yeah we've definitely gotten good reception on it and you know hopefully people who actually because there is an end credits there's a there is a post credit scene much like marvel so hopefully people recognize that and they actually sit through the credits and then they hear our song yeah they um i'm pretty sure it's where samuel jackson asks if uh, people want to go fight the demon from death by temptation i'm pretty yes, sure exactly is the post credit exactly <laughs> And I think for a treat, um, I want to play Theophobia's hashtag Shakespeare shitstorm theme song uh, to close out the show. Kind of on the topic of trauma, how did you start working for trauma? I, um, there was actually a program at my school that if you had your grades in order, you could actually spend uh the remainder of the senior semester interning for another company instead of going to school except on fridays you had to go to school on friday i kind of just very i was just very persistent i was already making my second feature film wakers so i think it started with i I kept calling trauma 
and asking if I could put Lloyd in one of my movies. And it took, it took a long time. And I think at first they were like, you know, maybe your next movie, we don't know if Lloyd's around. And I kept pushing. <laughs> yeah. Cause I was, I was young and I was very naive and I was like 17. I just kept pushing. Finally they said, yes. And I think while I was there, I asked if I could also uh, start uh, being an, you know, an observer volunteer. And, um, and then I got, I, and then kind of as I was working there, even before school was over for me, they actually hired me on as a, as a temp um, because they were doing a Kickstarter campaign and they hired me to, to do a lot of the media for that. And then, basically like a week before I graduated they were like do you just want to work here like full-time uh because I said because what sucked is that summer was coming and I actually said you know hey I'm sorry unfortunately I think I'm gonna have to find like a summer job at like a you know a fucking frozen yogurt stand or something and they were like why don't you just work here (laughs) so (laughs) that's basically how I started my career in the film business what was Um, your title what did you have a title? Um, I, I, I maybe assistant editor, but I, I mean, I, I was also, I mean, I was primarily doing internet stuff. So I think it kind of went from assistant editor to more like online content, like creator, because I, I then I started filming. I was filming and editing stuff at a certain point, and I was handling I, a lot of their uh, special feature stuff for their their Blu-rays and DVDs. Um, and like, like a lot of the trauma intros I was doing and then trauma now was launched while I worked there. So I st- kind of became sort of, it be- sort of became my job to do a lot of the media promoting trauma now. And I think that's where I first saw you was, was in some of those, uh, you know, online promotions, like back when trauma yeah. used to have everything on YouTube. Um, you would pop up in the videos quite a bit. I remember that. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, so yeah, that's sort of where I came from. And yeah, I mean, that was my film school. You know, I I, I had some scholarships to film schools, and I just was very skeptical about the college experience. I was kind of dreading it. I didn't really want to go to college, and like I actually, my parents had me sit in front. I was sat in front of the student loan papers, even though I had scholarships. I still would have had to take out loans because college is so expensive. Even with scholarships, you still have to pay for all the bullshit. And earlier that day, they had offered me a job at Troma, and I said I'd think about it. And I kind of said, you know, I think I just want to work at Troma. Like I don't really think I want to go to college. I I just, I, I really don't vibe with school in general i i because I, I, I would always get good grades for my work but bad grades for my behavior because I, I i was a little bit uh i guess i was considered a bit of a troublemaker <laughs> <laughs> i don't know when i disagreed with someone at, at, at high school i i was uh pretty vocal about it and i think they didn't like that and i don't know i just didn't like the whole atmosphere there's this one guy who's above you and i always kind of felt like you know, if, if, if I have to do everything you say, I should be getting paid for it. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, um, I mean, that's kind of how I started working at trauma. And, um, do you have any like favorite, like shorts or, or just like videos that you produced or made for trauma that people should go check out? 
I mean, I think one of my favorite things I worked on uh, was I, I did some of the shooting for and I edited um, Kabuki Con, which was a video that John Brennan produced for his Kabuki Man Cocktail Corner show, where Kabuki Man goes to Comic Con. <laughs> and I'm a really big fan of like the Eric Andre show and all that stuff. And John basically said I could have completely free reign of the editing process and I could make it however I wanted. So I was just like, I'm going to make the most insane like thing ever. Like it's just going to be completely ridiculous. And it's going to be like an episode of the Eric Andre show. I'm going to be have people's heads flying around and <laughs> like, like I'm going to have like, like, like uh, fucking Hebrew music, like playing in it and, and like, and like stock photos of people like playing the flute, like flying around and just like, make it like completely like like there's a part where it zooms out and, and, it, and it says comic-con building here and it's like a rock with a window in it and then it like explodes and i i actually found like an educational film from the 50s that had a car that looked like the car from kabuki man <laughs> and i and so I, there's like a part where like Kabuki Man's fighting Doctor Strange and then like the laser comes out of Kabuki Man and then it comes out of Comic-Con and then it goes into the 50s educational film about an automobile and then it explodes and it turns into the Kabuki Man car. <laughs> so I would say if there's one thing I really remember from that time, it's yeah, editing Kabuki Con. I think it's so funny. So yeah, I'd recommend people check that out for sure. That's awesome. And then um, you mentioned that you were working on uh, Kickstarter with Troma. I assume that was for Return to Return to New yes. High Volume Two. Yes, and I did a lot of uh, some of the post production work on that, and I show up in it a few times. I'm I'm uh, I get my nose ripped off in it as a human being, and then I also uh, played the duck monster in a few scenes. Oh wow! <laughs> not cool. not all of them, but some of them. But that's still cool. <laughs> yeah. And then how how did it come about that you got one of the leading characters in Shitstorm? Well, I mean, I was certainly encouraged to audition, but it actually was not as easy as just, oh, I know Lloyd is going to give me a role in the movie. Yeah, it was. Um, I mean, they called me to do it and I said, oh, my God, you know, this role is fucking perfect for me. I really want to play this role. And they inv and I actually did a reading of it at the pit which was this improv theater um, and they did a script, a live script reading there. Um, and a lot of the cast members doing the reading were not, some of them were ended up being in it, but some of them were also, they didn't, um, they were either in different roles or there were actors playing certain characters that ended up not playing those characters. Um, so it was not like just because you do the reading, you're going to get cast in the movie. Yeah. Um, so basically after I did that, I said, you know, obviously I'd love to audition. I'd love to be this. And so there were like, I think there were like something like almost 10 auditions that I had to do. And at first, believe it or not, they actually paired me up with Amanda and Amanda was Steph. Oh, wow. <laughs> and we did a reading as Steph and Trini with, with Amanda as Steph. And I remember Amanda used to live in Staten Island. And I remember we were rehearsing in at her house in Staten Island. And then, yeah, they ended up changing it. So Zoe Geltman was Steph and then Amanda was Ariel, which I think was the right move because 
you know, Amanda's now getting these rave reviews for her performance. She's area. so funny. Yeah, I mean, I, I would say she's the standout mm-hmm. uh, actor in the movie, frankly. I mean, her and, and Kate McGarrigal, you yeah. know, I would say, and, and, and Monique Dupree, I would say, are like kind of the, the breakout, you know, big, big, you know, very charismatic, uh, you know, far more. I mean, my performance was fun, but, but I, I think, you know, com- Amanda really stole the show, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, and there's that great big photo of her in the New York Times, which I think is well-deserved, um, which, you know, they actually gave Shitstorm a pretty good review the New York Times. It, that was a really, like, it was kind of I funny. I was really leading surprised. Up, leading up to that, Lloyd was like, the New York Times, fuck them. They've never oh, yeah. said a good thing about us. And, and then I was finally, like. I think maybe they they wanted to prove Lloyd wrong. And they, they yeah, was, they, liked, they actually liked the movie. And it wasn't like a typical like backhanded review that trauma always gets where it's like, yeah, no, it was was good for a trauma movie. It was like a genuinely sweet review. Yeah, no, they definitely liked the movie. But um, anyway, yes. So so I did did a bunch of auditions. Um, I, I remember, I mean, most notably, I remember. I, the, the first audition isn't even, you're not even reading from the script. The first audition is you come in with your own monologue. And I decided to do the fucking scary tunnel scene from Willy Wonka. Because <laughs> I was like, that is so representative of Trini. Is, is if I do the scary tunnel scene from Willy Wonka. Like, 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 so I did the whole thing. And then at the end, I just started screaming and writhing around on the floor. Um... And so that got me a call back. Um, and then I remember, I think it might have been during my auditions with Amanda, but somewhere along the line, I decided to bring a bunch of chocolate cake to the audition. And, and I auditioned when the whales are supposed to be shitting on us. I just started smashing the chocolate cake into my face. <laughs> um, so I just wanted to keep doing outrageous stuff so that they, you know, they remember me, you know, because it was other people deciding it, not just Lloyd. Yeah. And I wanted to, I, I really wanted to, you know, do something that stuck out. And I, and obviously I'd worked for Troma, so I, I knew that there was a certain vibe that they wanted. And can you tell me a bit of the set life? So you went to Albania yeah. um, with them. How long was that shoot? That was like a week, I think. A week, two weeks, something like that. Um, but yeah, I mean, the, the only parts I'm in in Albania are on the top of the boat, but that was a really, that might've been the longest shoot for one scene in a trauma film, like, or at least in that trauma film. Um, cause in New York, it was like, you know, you, you have like a day for each, each scene for the most part, but you know, usually multiple scenes shot in one day, but that was because that scene is so elaborate. Yeah, and it, they needed a real boat. Well, they needed what they, what they needed was a combination of a real boat and a mock-up of a real boat. So what's incredible is that there's both a real boat in the film and there's a mock-up of the entire upper deck of the boat that was built outside on a back lot in front of a giant outdoor green screen. And in the film, you cannot tell the difference between the set of the boat and the real boat it looks and it was loaded onto like springs it was some real hollywood shit like awesome they they had it on these poles and there were production 
assistance, but like pushing the poles up and down to make the boat rock. So it was, and that's really when, when like all the shit gets on us, they use the replica set. Um, and then when like we're in the storm and there's a hole in the ship, that's the replica boat. But then in the wide shots and when you see the, and, and before the storm is happening, it's a real boat that's actually in the middle of the Adriatic Sea. Um, but I was really impressed because when they said there's there oh there's going to be parts on green screen, I said oh god, it's going to you know it's going to look rinky dink. It's going to be like a pole that we're hanging on to, and then they're going to put the rest of it behind us. It's going to look like garbage. And then I get there, and it's a it's like because because in because the exchange rate is so good in Albania that they were able to get a real boat and get the CGI for the whales and get a crew and get the the replica set of the boat built on this back lot for like forty thousand dollars whoa <laughs> which you know i mean for me that's a lot of money but for a a, a, a full-fledged film production that's a pretty good deal you know they probably charge two hundred thousand dollars in in new york just to set foot on a boat with a camera yeah you know what i'm saying <laughs> meanwhile we had a you know two different versions of the boat um that's so cool but yeah, and it was it was pretty incredible. We had a rain machine going for the replica boat. Um, so you really, in the final cut, you absolutely can't. I mean, I, I challenge anyone watching to try and spot the difference between the real boat and the fake boat. Like next time anyone watches it, try and see, okay, this is the real boat. This is the fake boat. But whoever built it, I mean, it, you know, it was the crew in Albania, but it was like, it was built perfectly to scale. I mean, they must have studied how those how those coast guard boats look because it was the exact same layout there was no continuity issues i honestly had no idea until just now that there was a fake boat <laughs> yeah no no one knows it was so it's really it's seriously one of the one of the most monumentous effects i've ever been part of it was pretty incredible and it sounds um, like one of yeah, them they more spill. They couldn't spill all that shit on onto the real boat because it's owned by the military. So the Coast and, Guard didn't want actual shit on the boat. Yeah, and there were military guys on the boat. They were completely bewildered by what the fuck was going on. <laughs> but we were covered in shit on the on the on the the real boat. But they they and they put these like styrofoam pieces of shit on the ground on the real boat. But they didn't actually get it dirty. Yeah. So it was the fake boat that they just completely trashed and had rain machines going and, and hy hy hydraulic hose with shit and, and, a, and a piece of fake corn like hit me in the face. And I actually got a, a fat lip from that because it was moving <laughs> at such a speed that it actually hit me so hard. That's um, amazing. <laughs> yeah. And, and then it went back to uh, New York City uh, to film the, the rest of it. Um, how long was the rest of the shoot? The rest of the shoot was um, like maybe two months, I think, for me at least. I mean, there's other pickup stuff I did. And there's also, I, you know, I wasn't there for every single day because I'm not, you know, I'm kind of a subplot in the film. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I mean I, I'm lucky to have, you know, a, one of the most, you know, I mean, I literally and in the shitstorm, um but yeah i mean it's not like i'm the main character so i but but yeah i remember it being like two months spread out and then in between those two months i was um 
pretty much every day I had off, I was directing music videos for other people, or I was, um, I was also act, at the time I was doing a lot of extra stuff. So it's funny. I'd be, I'd go from like being in shitstorm to then being like an extra on like, you know, like, like, uh, sex not sex in the city it's a younger there was a show younger that kept having me be extras um it's <laughs> funny i actually met a bunch of the cast members who ended up being in spirit riser on younger but yeah i was so it was kind of like back and forth between that and then doing videos and then and then going back and being in shitstorm but another really inventive thing in shitstorm uh in the new york scenes and i this is very much in part due to john brennan being a really inventive producer is that they found this location that is one half of it looks like a nightclub and the other half of it looks like the the interior of a ship and it had these big mirrors that were already there that looked like portholes so they covered them up with posters but they, they covered the mirror part up with posters yeah and then they built a, a false wall and then behind the false wall, they actually had Eric Fox and, and, and Melissa working on the um, working on all the body horror stuff in the back, right behind the false wall in the interior of the ship. But it's the same exact club. That's that awesome. For the interior of the ship in the beginning and then the, and then Prospero's retreat. It's literally you walk through a door and you're in the other part and what they did was the whenever we were shooting in the in the fake you know ship interior we had everyone we had holding in the other side of the nightclub and then whenever we were shooting um in the in the nightclub the other room was was holding so it was a really brilliant process that's awesome um, it was very streamlined yeah really really efficient uh high production value stuff like you know they got two sets for the price of one basically i got a i've seen it already but i need to see it with a crowd because it is an absolutely bonkers movie like it's, it's a pretty bonkers movie yeah and definitely seeing it with an audience that is if anybody out there has the opportunity to do that yeah i think it's it's it's, a, it's the most fun to see with like a bunch of people like screaming yeah, because there's some rowdy stuff in that movie. Yeah. Well, awesome. Well, I think on that, um, I think we should dive into the to this episode. Yeah, speaking of uh, bonkers movies. Yeah, speaking of bonkers movies, uh, let's dive into the 1992 Troma live action animated film directed by Toby Zotes, Virgin Beasts. Oh.
science has worked true, you may find a treasure that will lead to the greatest treasure of them all, a golden cup that grants the wish that any drinker may make, and it dwells up yonder in heaven in the throne room of the golden tower. And she who bears that cup before her shall lead the way to heal all wounds. I need that cup to get my empire back in full swing again. All you've got to do is climb the 10,000 bloody steps, break through the germ-free barrier, and stuff up that decadent elite sealed within. Oh, rebel! Daddy wouldn't like that. My history with Virgin Beast was I was aware of the movie uh, mm-hmm. be- because on Poultry Geist, um, the the head blood boy, he was from Australia. And Lloyd had somebody who worked at the office send him a DVD um, to set to give to him. He was like, hey, we have this movie that is made by an Australian filmmaker and it's actually really cool. And he gave yeah. it to him. And that's. And then after that's that's it. That I never heard anything more about the movie after that. Um, other, yeah, I've seen the case around. I just never picked it up. And then yeah. I, I, when I asked you to what movie you wanted to talk about on the show, you suggested Virgin Beast. So this was a first time watch for me, and I'm really glad you suggested this movie. Yeah, I love I love this movie a lot. What's your history with uh, with this one? How did you see it the first um, time? I would take advantage of any free time I had when I was working at Troma um, and would go through their library of films. Cause you know, they had a lot of their DVDs in the, in the, um, it, it just, you know, in, in the office. So I, um, you know, I love anything that combines animation with live action. Um, I love, uh, you know, anything that has kind of that underground animation aesthetic, like yeah. it kind of almost looks like underground comics, you know, yeah. in some scene. Um, so, you know, I was immediately hooked. And um, I, yeah, I think I watched it during, you know, some off time uh, just in the office. And I was just blown away. I was like, you know, I wish more people knew about this one because it's so out there and cool and you know i started looking up toby zotes and stuff and i was like this is a you know one really innovative guy yeah he's like his art style is very much like old punk rock flyers from like the 80s i think he did a lot of punk rock flyers and you could definitely tell and then like almost like like that mixed with like if mad magazine was drawn with sharpies like yeah for sure like it it's such a cool cool style um and they i've looked looked around he has some other short films on yeah. on youtube but what's cool is before virgin beast um they do have uh one of his short films the thief of sydney um yeah which plays right before um, yeah what's interesting is that that plays um in um both in the DVD and on Troma now, I think, and it's just one file, I think. Yeah, yeah, I'm sure. Sh- I'm sure they just ripped the Troma now from the DVD. Yeah, um, but the short, the short is pretty neat. Um, we should talk about that before we really get into yeah. Virgin Beast. Um, 
so it it definitely gets you prepared for what you're about to see with virgin beasts it's a yeah, little sure. it's a little more tame but um there's a lot of rotoscoping going on um yeah. with these it's you know basically there's uh some homeless guys who are smoking weed um you know in like the sydney harbor and yeah. then they start you know imagining if it was a post-apocalyptic world um yeah and i will say this about about uh the virgin beast and the thief of, of sydney is there is definitely a plot but it is super abstract and kind of hard to talk about. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, the basic idea is that in Virgin Beast, there's this politician that wants to, he's dying, and he wants to steal the heart of uh, an indigenous person who's in the, who's in the same hospital. Like yeah. his men want to transplant the heart from that guy into him so that he can they can prolong you know his shitty life because he's powerful and rich and and the indigenous guy is not um and then they're both kind of experiencing they're both kind of having this near-death experience and they both kind of become these fantasy versions of themselves and they turn into fish at one point and they turn back into people and they go on this kind of spiritual journey yeah, and they're like dolphins. They're dolphins, it, and it's like a rock yeah, opera. Yeah, right. They turn into dolphins. Yeah, right. And it's a rock opera. Um, but yeah, and they, but yeah, it kind of goes between that, and and it's sort of, you know, yeah. I mean, at that point, it, it becomes a little more abstract. But there's, I think there's, it's it's a lot of statements. I mean, it like Lloyd's films, it gets kind of political because it's. I think it's very much about, you know, classism and a class hierarchy, and it's about. I think like spirituality and how that intersects with it. You know, they have Jesus in it, but Jesus is evil and he kills people. But what's also kind of neat, like about this movie is like, you could tell a lot of work went into it and it was like a passion project because all of the animation is, is rotoscoped and hand drawn. And I don't think they had the budget to get any sort of tools to make it easier and no it's that's all by him for sure and toby zotes was like the animator so yeah like, I, i'm pretty sure he just did all of that himself no it's just, pretty it's a pretty remarkable achievement and well one of the things i liked in the the short film before which definitely just kind of set the tone for everything there's like a weird gargoyle that comes out and he just looks at the camera and it's like a cartoon gargoyle. And he's like, I don't know what's going on either. And then he just yeah. like walks off. <laughs> um, but yeah, in Virgin Beast, um, one of the, there, there was a movie uh, that Troma put out that it kind of reminded me of, which was Fatty Drives the Bus. Um, funny oh, yeah. enough, I've seen that actually. It's, it took me two watches to appreciate that movie. But this movie uh-huh. uh, reminded me of Fatty Drives a Bus, not so much um, humor-wise, but just the DIY like filmmaking where you you get like everybody you know to show up to make this movie. Yeah, and, for sure. And the the effects in this movie are they're very much DIY. Like they have monsters that aren't animated, but right. it's you could tell like they made like these rubber masks 
um, as best as they could, you know, with like probably like couch foam and spray paint and duct tape. And, but they look, but it works in this movie. Like it doesn't seem out of place. I mean, it's like Pee Wee's Playhouse or something where the aesthetic works if everything is part of the same aesthetic. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing feels out of place in this movie, which is kind of fun. Um, Yeah. And, and then when they're, when they're dolphins and like swimming around um, cause they get zapped into uh, a dolphin tuna commercial, basically when, yeah. when he, uh, the politician dies on like the operating bed. And yeah. so you're just swimming around in the sea with these dolphins and you see, you know, whales with huge dicks singing songs and uh, oh yeah that part's great (laughs) and mermaids just with their genitalia on full display for everybody swimming around and there's giant crab monsters and it's yeah and it's like that's it's just it's just so unique like i've not really seen too much else like this and it but there wasn't like a boring frame in this entire movie no definitely not and i mean that's one of the reasons why i love it i mean it's, it's max it's a maximalist masterpiece in my opinion one of like the cool things about this movie is like so there's a scene where they the dolphins they turn back into like you know kind of like the better looking versions of of their human forms and they're just they found a really sweet looking like tunnel location and these guys are walking through with these torches and tunnels and then they just have random torture scenes and you think that they're using Australian slang. They're like, oh, to get to get to where we need to go, we have to climb a thousand, ten thousand bloody steps. But it's actually like ten thousand steps that are just covered in blood. That they, yeah. <laughs> and they'll like cut people in the in the torture chamber. Somebody will get hurt, but all the blood that comes out of them is animated, except it's for so like cool. Yeah, and it also reminds me a lot of Forbidden Zone. Yes. Yeah. Which oh, is that... also one of my favorite movies ever of all time. When they're in heaven, uh, it, Jesus um, Jesus is there and he's kind of a nut job. And he, uh, he he's like, like, I will let you people eat my flesh and drink my blood in exchange for for entertainment. And so he like gets some slaves, which they look like slaves from like a guar show. Uh, to yeah, fu- to fight each other with spiked tennis rackets. <laughs> yeah, and then in the middle of all of this, uh, just like one of the main the main dolphin guy blow, he runs in and does like this like guitar solo, <laughs> and I was because it's like where's this scene going? And it and then he runs in with a guitar solo. It's like that's a pretty awesome way to if you don't know how to write yourself out of a scene. <laughs> oh, definitely. But yeah, I mean, the movie, it's just so weird. Uh, Like it just jumps back and forth from real life to this kind of fantasy, uh, partially animated live action world. But like in real life, um, they're doing like these heart transplants and uh, blow the main character. His heart catches on fire on a cart and there's like this crazy keep away game. Yeah. Like like just down all the it's it's so weird like it it doesn't make sense to explain it because you know like two two minutes later these dolphins are flying on the back of a dragon (laughs) it's so cool it's just like 
it's everything you could it's everything i could possibly want in a movie when i was watching watching the movie i i was like i totally get why why this movie stuck with you for you to recommend it because it it reminds me a lot of your style um, yeah, and I just love projects where it's obvious that there's no limit on the creator's imagination. Yeah, it's I like for for instance, I'll throw this spoiler out there. Uh, the the black guy who is a dolphin, he fights uh, Rosebud, the you know the sled from Citizen Kane on his penis. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, you know, yeah. I don't know if he's. I, I mean, maybe he's. I, I think he's supposed to be Aboriginal. They they call him. Um, they refer to him as as the black guy at the beginning of the oh, movie, okay. and then halfway okay. through, they call him Aboriginal. Um, well, I guess you can be both. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, it was. It's yeah. So... I, I do think that is that is very much like a like a statement on you know colonialism and you know how they're literally trying to take the guy's heart. Where, the, especially, you know, I, I'm sure we're both speaking a little out of school, just Australian, you know, yeah. you know, politics. But like, like I, yeah, I, I have a like, feeling. I have a feeling. Also, it would make a little more sense if you're Australian. There seem like a lot of inside kind of, yeah, references like that in there, where where it's like, oh, maybe, you know, maybe. Uh, dragons in australia turn into penises that's like a thing there that's not anywhere else (laughs) but i don't know i don't know i i haven't played that expansion on dungeons and dragons (laughs) yeah yeah i mean it's it's a hard movie to describe but it i have not been this excited watching a movie in a long time either where it was just so different and original and and the sky was the limit for whatever toby zotes wanted to do in this movie and he did it yeah absolutely do you have any uh final thoughts on uh virgin beasts um no other than i hope you know more people see it because i think it's a really great film and certainly anyone who's a fan of animation or underground comics or you know stuff like Robert Crumb, Fritz the Cat, Ralph Bakshi. Yeah. I think this is a must-see film for anyone who's a fan of those kinds of things. I agree. Um, it you need you need to watch this movie, especially if you're an animation fan. You need yes. to watch it. Um, I have a clip that I'm gonna play real quick of uh, Toby Zotes talking about um, trauma distributing his movie. An interesting thing for me was I signed that film over to a company in New York called Troma and I thought I'd become a millionaire because they got videos in every video shop in the world but sadly enough they never gave me any money but what they did do was show that film absolutely everywhere and for instance I just got a letter from them the other day I still owe them $59,777, which really annoys me, like I owe them after 21 years, but they've just shown it on cable television in Canada. And I mean, you know, it's amazing that in all these years that film has just shown, 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 shown everywhere, and I feel pleased that here I am virtually on Skid Row in Sydney, which is par for the course for most artists anyway. I mean, it's... I've 
always live this way, so it's not as if <coughs> I can rue the loss of a wonderful, luxurious life, but um, I'm very happy that a bum like me, my artwork got out of a place called Down Under, Oz, and it got all around the world. It's pretty fantastic. All righty. So it's, uh, it's uh, Virgin Beast Night in your theater. What movie are you picking for your double feature? Okay, so, you know, now that you bring it up, because we still haven't necessarily decided the double feature, but in terms of what would fit really well with that aesthetic, I would say it would be Forbidden Zone. Yeah. Just keep saying to yourself, it's only a movie. It's only a movie. It's only a movie that will have you living in the sixth dimension, moving in the wrong direction. A new fantasy musical comedy. The Forbidden Zone. I when we were talking about about that um, earlier, I totally <laughs> it's like that would be a really good double. Yeah, I mean, because I because I I had proposed actually talking about Adam the Amazing Zombie Killer, which I think is a brilliant film. Thank and you. Actually, I think there are even some similarities with Virgin Beasts because it's also kind of a film about hallucination. And I love that it completely flips the zombie genre on its head. And it's, it's about a guy, you know, basically hallucinating to the point where he has a murderous victim complex and thinks everyone is a zombie that's about to eat him and then starts murdering people. Um, and I love the idea that the zombies, not only are they not the monsters, they are literally just people and the guy is just insane. I've never seen a movie do that before it, it, it's sort of it reminds me of tucker and dale versus evil yeah that, but, <laughs> um but yeah i i want to at least mention that because i well, think Adam, the amazing zombie killer is a very good movie um and i really like how it how it uh turns zombie tropes on its head i typically don't even it's just there's so many zombie movies that i yeah. I, I there's I have kind of a, a preconceived stigma where anytime I see a zombie movie, I'm like, oh God, you know, it's another fucking zombie movie. You know, someone made this, sh you know, it's either low budget, someone made this shit in their backyard or it's, you know, because because it's they're cheap to make and they put a bunch of their friends in zombie makeup or, you know, it's a medium budget to high budget, you know, 28 days later slash Walking Dead ripoff. Um, well, I, I think that the funny thing about Adam is... Um, it kind of exactly what you said the because we were tired of the same old zombie movie yeah. over and over and it's, it's but, completely different than anything but the what the problem was was the people who would appreciate the movie who would lo love a spin on a zombie movie were like this looks like another one of those shitty <laughs> backyard zombie movies so they didn't watch it and the people who are only about those shitty backyard zombie movies are like this isn't a zombie movie <laughs> right 
but well, so, so he made the perfect. I think, uh, <laughs> I think it certainly d- d- deserves an audience. So I want to at least bring that up. Thank um, you. Yeah, I would say in terms of a, a film that you'd want to watch right after Virgin Beasts. I mean, yeah, either Forbidden Zone or like or like something. Uh, you know, one of those uh, X-rated animated films from the seventies. Yeah, I so for my double, I had a really hard time um, because Virgin Beast is so unique, and I kept, I was like really drawn to thinking of like, like Bashki feels appropriate, yeah. but his stuff feels also too linear. <laughs> like to to work in a way i mean i think he's he's kind of his he tells stories in kind of an offbeat way but yeah i mean it's definitely a little more like i mean also heavy metal yeah, it, it, yeah. It, there's definitely similarities to heavy metal for sure yeah i was thinking because i was like oh maybe like american pop or wizards but then like i just the more i kept thinking about it what this reminded me of would would have been the feature at the end of uh spike and mike's festival of animation I don't know about that. So, so way way back in the way back in the late '90s, early 2000s, um, there was these two guys, Spike and Mike, and they would um, program these animation film festivals, and they were very DIY and punk rock. They'd play like in rock and roll clubs. They're like, here is they like were the first people to show uh frog baseball the beavis and butthead short oh Uh, cool they were the first people to show the whoop ass girls before they became the powerpuff girls um oh wow i had no idea they used to be called the whoop ass girls actually yeah it's and you know as pre like adult swim there's still like liquid television on mtv but these were liquid television still exist in my heart it does right <laughs> um i was going to say I, i'm looking for someone to fund another like animated short for me to do and i i, I you know i'm having trouble i'm just i i wish there was more stuff like that you know and that was one of the nice things about spike and mike um was they would look for animators and it felt very trauma dance before trauma yeah. dance where they went out looking for you know it didn't matter if it was like a highbrow um animated art film or if it was a bill plimpton cartoon that nobody saw yet they they wanted it all and they would play in punk rock clubs around the country and um i i was lucky enough to go to some of them and spike and mike they would always be in park city and lloyd introduced me a few times and he's like spike and mike's you know their festival of animation is you know one of the true independent things out here in park city and it really was and this movie would have fit in perfectly with a night of just like weirdo animated shorts yeah for sure i i honestly i wouldn't be surprised if 
they didn't play some of Toby's uh, shorts. It seems yeah, like something I mean, they that would have. They certainly should have. I would say the closest thing we have now to, to something like that is we have Night Flight Plus, which yes. is a streaming service. And I actually have both a film I made, The Bathtub, which is sort of an underground animated looking film like that. And we have uh, The Puppeteer's Assistant is also on there now. That's awesome. Um, I, I've watched a few things. They have a lot of Devo stuff on. Oh, on yeah. Flight. Devo I love Devo, obviously. Um, but they have, uh, I know not obviously, but I, I just feel like, you know, I seem like the kind of person who would be a Devo. Fan, right. I feel like. Yeah. Um, same, same here. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, yeah. I mean, I guess going back to the double feature thing, uh, I mean, I guess for anyone who doesn't know about Forbidden Zone, um, I, I would say uh, watch, I mean, it's a great film. I would say watch it with some caution because it's, uh, you know, there's some, there's some kind of, dis- there's some kind of offensive stuff in it um, that I don't necessarily agree with. Uh, like there's use of blackface, which I don't agree with that. But I think in terms of uh, visuals, it is a absolutely outstanding film. And I do think that Richard Elfman is an extremely talented yeah. uh, director. Um, and um, yeah, I mean, it's got great music, of course, by Ringo Boingo, and it's got this fantastic cast. I mean, Herve Galeches and Susan Tyrell are just dynamite in the movie. Uh, Joe Spinell makes an appearance, Viva the World Superstar. I mean, it's it's just such a great fucking uh, movie, and it's, and it's short too. It's like it's like seventy to eighty minutes, so it's yeah. like it just beat, 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 and you get these great songs. Everything from Oingo Boingo to then, you know, old 30 show tunes. But yeah, I mean, I guess that's my basic uh, appeal to people to to check out Forbidden Zone. I kind of want to now, like, after when we're done recording, go pop that in. Because it's, it's it, like, it, that it's does seem pretty, like a good It's a cap. pretty incredible movie. And it, yeah. it works both in its colorized form, which was supervised by Richard Elfman. It's not it's a weird film you'd think to colorize because it's not like an old classic that they're colorizing. It's, it's because that was his original artistic vision was to film the movie in black and white and then colorize it. So it looked like a cartoon. And that's what I think is so brilliant is that it's a film with live actors that looks like a cartoon and at some point becomes animated. But, but, um, it is a it is a living breathing uh cartoon and um and i uh yeah and i and i just think for the visuals alone it's worth watching but it's also i mean great music i think it's very inventive film great example of you know getting a lot with it out of a small budget um you know he truly persevered to make it it was completely independently made um so yeah, I would definitely, I would definitely say, uh, good double feature with Virgin Beasts for sure. Yeah. Well, I think on that we should start uh, wrapping wrapping it up here. Where where yeah. can people uh, listen to your music or watch your films? Well, there's all my stuff's all over the place. I would say the best way to get updates and links to all my stuff is to follow me on Instagram, uh, yep. Dylan Mars Greenberg just that's my instagram and follow my band theophobia on instagram and that that is probably the best way to go to all my stuff but yeah i mean i'm on Bandcamp. uh 
I, you know, my stuff is going to be re- a, a lot, my back catalog of my last six feature films or maybe five feature films. Cause I don't, I don't think they're going to release the first one, but uh, cause it glamorous is not really a horror film, but the other films of mine uh, from Wakers to Reagitator, I believe are going to be released by dark side uh, entertainment uh, in the coming months. I believe, and this they'll be they'll be available on physical media for the first time, besides, you know, limited run VHS tapes and that kind of thing, um, and uh, yeah, and then I mean, you know, uh, like I said, if you follow me on Instagram, you'll really be able to get the full, the full thing. But yeah, ban- I'm on Bandcamp. I'm on every major streaming service in terms of my music. Most of my films, as of now, are on Troma. Now I have some stuff on Night Flight Plus. Um, I mean, a lot of the music videos I've directed are just all over the place on YouTube and, uh, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, yeah, all my links are pretty much through my through my Instagram. That's kind of kind of where you can find basically everything. I really should make a website. I don't really have one right now. <laughs> I had one for a while and I got overwhelmed, but I'm, I'm going to probably make one in the next month or so. Awesome. But uh, yeah, I mean, that's where you can find all my stuff. Awesome. And uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Lego Larry. Um, you can find the show on Twitter at Talking Trauma. And as always, stay traumatized. <laughs>